Well, it's great to uh, welcome you here today. Let me explain a little bit of what's going to go on. Uh, really, what we're doing today as a Commitment Sunday is something that the people of God have done down through the centuries, way back into the Old Testament and even into the New Testament. There were particular moments that were milestones in the lives of individuals or in the lives of communities. And those milestones, those spiritual milestones were marked by the people of God in particular ways. In the Old Testament, when there was a significant moment in the life of the people of God, they would often raise up a heap of stones as a kind of mile marker along their journey of faith. In the Old Testament, it's called an Ebenezer, which speaks of God leading them thus far and then taking them on. In the New Testament, Luke, whose words we'll be reading in a moment, tells us that, that the Apostle Paul took a special vow in Corinth and the Bible scholars tell us that that special vow, that Nazarite vow, meant that he shaved all of the hair off his body and then gave that hair in a bag to the priest in Jerusalem who put it into the flames on the altar as a symbol of himself being offered to God in prayer. These symbols, these, these, these pictures are so important and of course today, we'll be using that most significant of symbols, that most significant of sacraments, the Lord's Supper, where Jesus himself gave us bread and wine to remind us of what it was that he did for us through his body and blood. And so today is a commitment Sunday, a, a commitment to what you ask, a commitment to the Lord, not to a man, not to a woman, not to people necessarily who are leaders and guides, but much more a commitment to the Lord himself. And we're gonna do that individually and collectively. When Sally and I heard the call to come to Apex, we believed that God was renewing this congregation, this remarkable congregation with a remarkable vision. We believe that, that the trials and the difficulties, the challenges that you'd been through were just a temporary season and the pruning that you were already seeing and that would inevitably continue were just a season and that God was in the business of renewing this congregation. And so today is an opportunity for us to commit ourselves to the renewal of Apex as a community. God is always in the business of renewing us individually and collectively. And so today is an opportunity for us to do that. Now we're gonna have various different ways that we can express that as we go through. Children, if you're able to bear with it, then um, you might want to use the kid commitment card that uh, the family ministry team has put together. And it there details 
And maybe you can be thinking about this as I'm talking this morning. There are details, the things that you want to pray for. Maybe you want to pray for your parents. That would be a good thing. They need it. Maybe you want to pray for your brothers and sisters, your friends, the people that you know at school. You want to put down on this this card maybe the people that you're going to tell about Jesus and the ways in which you're going to spend time with Jesus. Maybe as part of the Kid Life programs here or in some other way. Adults, when we get to the particular point in the sermon this morning, when we consider these things, there is a card for you as well that's been given to you at the beginning of the service. And there inside are really the the three G's of Apex's community life. The gathering, the growing, and the going expression of our life. And there's a fourth G added to it, which is giving. How will we reflect our gratitude to God and the generosity that he calls us to? But before we get to all of that, and of course, please, parents, feel free to take the children at any point into the overflow area in the theatre. But from my point of view, just be, just be absolutely confident that it's just like the birds singing in the trees for me. I don't mind the children twittering away. It may be that there are a few people around you who don't have quite the same view of things, so uh, you'll, have to, uh, you'll have to take the, the temperature as we go along. But if you feel the need, then do feel free to go into the theatre where there's an overflow and it's a live, um, it's a live simulcast and uh, you'll be able to enjoy everything there. Last week, we considered the spirituality of Jesus, a theme that we'll come back to time and time again. What is, what is the, the pattern of the life of Jesus in his relationship to his Father? How does he relate to his Father? And from that foundational relationship, how does he relate to his disciples? And then how does he relate to the world beyond his discipleship band? What is, the, what is the spiritual cornerstone of the life of Jesus? And I suggested to you that the open heaven that, that was revealed at his baptism was the amazing reality of the spirituality of Jesus that he lived continuously until that moment on the cross when the skies were darkened and the heavens were closed and he was derelict and abandoned on our behalf that we might never be abandoned or derelict or alienated from God. He paid that price in that moment and the curtain was torn in two and the most holy place symbolizing the very presence of Almighty God was opened to each one of us never to be closed again. That picture of the open heaven, the eye of the hurricane, is the picture that I've encouraged you to carry with you this week as a picture of of our spiritual life. But how does that spiritual life manifest itself 
in the ordinary things of everyday life. Well, Jesus, he left the wilderness full of the power of the Holy Spirit and news about him began to spread everywhere. You see, if you live under an open heaven, then the things of heaven begin to be manifest here on earth, like we heard at the very beginning of the service. In very ordinary ways, God is able to do supernatural things. And so, perhaps like me, you've been considering that this week. Jesus comes out of the wilderness into the countryside and people begin to talk about him. And then he returns home. He returns home for the simple task of recruiting people who will follow him, who will join him, who will link arms with him in the mission that the Father has given him. I'm going to read to you from Luke chapter four and verse 14. And we'll see what it is that the Lord would say to us today. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue was fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Luke goes on to say that the people were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Jesus has provided us as he did to his friends and his family in Nazareth with his manifesto, with his constitution, with his commitment. What is it that Jesus will do? Having been baptized, having been confirmed for all to see as the Son of God, having been tested in that identity in the wilderness and in that testing embraced the authority of his identity and in embracing his authority receives the power commensurate with his identity. Jesus declares his commitment. He says, the spirit, the one who has descended upon me in power has anointed me for a particular task. Now, when we looked at the spirituality of Jesus, we noted that of course, the work of Jesus means that we participate in the things of Jesus. 
that the name of Jesus is the name that's given to us, that the identity of Jesus, the child of God, is given to us. And so in the same way that the identity of Jesus is given to us, we're asked by Jesus, as he was asking the synagogue in Nazareth, if you bear my identity, will you take on my commitment? And will you honor the presence of the Holy Spirit who has descended upon you in power by doing the things that the Holy Spirit requires of you? And what are those? Jesus makes it absolutely patently clear as he reads from Isaiah 61. He says that the Spirit rests on him so that he can preach good news to the poor. There's lots been written and said about the ministry of Jesus to the poor. And of course, on occasion, it means the economically poor. That is something that leads people to the desperate state that so often we need to get to so that we're open to the very provision of God, both spiritually and physically, that that he wants to give us. But in this case, the word poor is a word that is, it's a word picture. The word here is one who crouches, one who cringes, one who is bowed down by the weight of circumstance. So this word here, poor, that is translated in the same way as the, as the word for economic poverty, this word here means anyone who is bowed down in spirit, anyone who is broken by their circumstances, anyone who is forced to crouch. Jesus says, I've come for the ones who are bowed down by life. I've come for those who are broken by life. I've come for those who bear these marks, these these signs to their life, and they know it, and so does everyone else. I've come for that particular kind of person. And then it's as though Isaiah and Jesus put a colon after the word poor. And then he gives us examples of the kinds of poverty that he's coming to reach out to in the power of the Spirit with the full gospel of Jesus. He says, the first kind of poverty that I'm going to address is the poverty of those who are imprisoned and need to be set free. Now Luke is incredibly smart. Of all of the writers of the New Testament, the one that you would least doubt his intelligence is Luke. He's already recognized within the community as a doctor. He's already recognized in the community as as a significant intellectual, but just the way that he writes his gospel and the Acts of the Apostles is is testament to a person of incredible ability. 
And of course, the Lord uses lots of different people in different ways, but, but it's quite clear that one of the reasons why the Holy Spirit is using Luke in this particular way is because of the way that he's been created and gifted. And so when you read Luke, whether it's his gospel or the Acts of the Apostles, you need to take care as to how he unfolds the story. Jesus is, of course, rejected in Nazareth and immediately goes to Capernaum. And the very first thing he does is to deliver someone of a demon. The demon in the synagogue in Capernaum cries out, we know who you are, the Son of God. Jesus silences the demon and delivers the man without him being injured, says Luke. A prisoner has been set free from spiritual bondage. The poor have heard the good news. The congregation in the synagogue say words that are very reminiscent of the words of the Israelites when they're in the wilderness. When the Israelites are in the wilderness and they're complaining to God and are unable to understand and see what it is that God is up to. And they go out to observe the manna that has fallen from God's hand for their provision. They say, what is it? And that becomes the name of this gift, manna. The Hebrew meaning, what is it? It's an amazing name for something, isn't it? Well, here are the people in the synagogue and they see this amazing deliverance. I remember it's only happened to us on a couple of occasions where a, a demon has, a, a, has kind of cropped up in a service. So don't panic, it doesn't happen very often. But just on the odd occasion when it does, the people in the congregation are always really shocked. And so it was in Capernaum where the demon manifests and then is sent away and the person is delivered. And the people say, what is this? It's as though, it's as though momentarily their blindness has been removed. It's as though as the kingdom of God impacts their life, suddenly in the light of that revelation, their darkened perception is changed and their blindness is turned into sight. Those who are bowed down by their spiritual blindness and are unable to see the light of God's new day are the poor that Jesus brings good news to. Straight after that, Jesus goes to the home of Peter and you'll remember the story. All of the guys there are all panicking because they don't think that they're gonna be able to have some supper tonight because there's no woman to cook for them. And they're all looking around with their hands in their pockets saying, now what are we gonna do? Peter's mother-in-law is sick and so obviously we're gonna starve. Guys are the same 
every generation forever, aren't they? It's amazing. Jesus says, just take me to her. He goes to her and he addresses the fever in personal terms. He addresses the fever in precisely the same way that he would address a demon. Not suggesting that all sickness is of demonic origin, but making a very clear statement right at the beginning of his ministry that Jesus has no truck with sickness. Jesus never welcomes sickness. Jesus only ever stands against it. And there will be a day, and there will be a glorious day when sickness will be no longer. But between now and then, between now and then, we ask the Father that his kingdom would come, that his will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus looks at Peter's mother-in-law and he rebukes the fever and the oppression of sickness leaves her. And those that are oppressed receive the good news. And then the whole town comes out to hear Jesus, to receive from Jesus. The, the whole city of Capernaum is at the door of Peter. And why is that? Because the whole city, the whole community of Capernaum realizes that the favor of God has visited them because Jesus is in their midst. Who are the poor among you? Who are the poor among us? Who are the poor here today who need to hear the good news? Those that need deliverance, those that need spiritual or physical sight, those that are oppressed by chronic and continuous sickness, those that need to know here in our congregation and in our community that there can be a day of God's favour and the day of God's favor begins when we receive the good news of Jesus who changes everything. So here is the manifesto of Jesus. There have been world-altering manifestos. Karl Marx with Das Kapital has no doubt changed the world much for the worse with his analysis of 19th century industrial capitalism. Mein Kampf, the manifesto of Hitler, has no doubt devastated the world and continues to devastate in the minds of, of weak and easily manipulated people. But the manifesto of Jesus is unequivocally and unquestionably good. And it always brings not only the glory of God, but the presence of the kingdom. And my question for you, as would be the question of Jesus, is simply this. Are you committed 
to what Jesus is committed to. Because if Commitment Sunday means anything, it means that. It means that there is a good news and there is a good news for the poor. And we identify with the poor because we say, before we knew Jesus, we were bowed down. And now that we have met with Jesus, although the cares of the world seek to force us into that crouching position, we receive his grace daily and stand in the glory of his presence. Is this your commitment and mine? If it is, then it's the very heart of renewal for Apex, for Dayton, for the region, for the nation and the world. This is the most important statement of intention by any leader in any point of any time in history. And it's as relevant today as it ever was in days gone by. But what is the context in which Jesus declares this amazing manifesto? What is the context in which Jesus declares this statement of commitment? Well, there are three things that I think you might find possibly humorously interesting that are the context of Jesus sharing these words. Maybe you can take your card out today, your commitment card. I believe we gave it to you as you came in. What was the initial context? Well, it's very straightforward. It says in verse 16, Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been brought up and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. You see, Jesus operated regularly in the gathering of God's people. Jesus proclaimed the gospel first in the gathering of God's people. This is the pattern of life of Jesus. If it's the pattern of life of Jesus, then whether it imposes some limits on our individualism and our sense of independence, it is the pattern of the people of Jesus. However independent we wanna be, however individual we wanna be, we're the people of Jesus. And Jesus made it a regular discipline to gather with God's people. And you say, well, I don't always enjoy it. Well, what about the Son of God? Do you think he enjoyed gathering with everybody every week, realizing what it was that was around him and all of the inadequacies that he had to gather with week by week and the inept preaching and teaching that he would hear from the front? And yet, it was his practice. 
If it's the practice of Jesus, then it's an unavoidable commitment for you and I. Now, we are a network of house churches that gather on a Sunday. So what does that really mean? It means this, very much in the spirit of the synagogue, it means that our gatherings are collaborative events rather than events for spiritual consumers. A gathering is not about what we can consume. A gathering is about what it is that we can add to the gathering. The synagogue was formed when the temple was no longer available to the children of God in exile. And in exile, they created the synagogue as their temple experience. But they created that experience as a collaborative joint venture. And so it's absolutely appropriate that as house churches, we gather on Sundays and we ask ourselves this question, how can we contribute to the blessing and the benefit of all others who gather here? Should our house church be on some rotation for the prayer teams at the end of the service? Should we be on some kind of rotation for the connecting room so that those who may well even accidentally blunder their way into one of our gatherings, they can be welcomed and invited to the very heart of our community in the house churches? Should we as house churches be getting ourselves ready to serve the children and young people as we disciple and teach them? What is it that as house churches we should be collaborating in to do? If there's an important conversation at your house church in the coming weeks, this question is most certainly one of the most important. And then suppose we say, well, Sunday's a big day for non-believers. Maybe we're not gonna be able to get them here. Well, if we can't get them here, maybe one of the things that we should be thinking about as house churches is which Sunday do we choose not to come? So that on that Sunday, we intentionally do mission in our community, among our neighbors, in the midst of our friends. It would be wonderful, wouldn't it, if, if Sunday by Sunday, we gathered and we were able to say, oh, and this house church, by the way, is doing this mission project this week. Let's be praying for them. Wouldn't it be a wonderful experience together as we collaborate as house churches to form a time of worship and witness that indicated what the life of Apex is all about? So Jesus gathered but Jesus wanted to grow something. And that's why he went home. It's quite clear what it was that he wanted to do. He had been identified as the Son of God. His word about God, which changed the way that people saw God forever, was that God is our Father. And so if you joined Jesus, you join Jesus the Son and called God Father, everybody knows what that means. 
It means that Jesus was growing a family, a family with the mission of the Father. Jesus went to his natural family, to his family in Nazareth to give them the opportunity to join him. But they rejected him. Later, of course, we know that members of his family joined him. Mary was there at the cross. James was there on the day of resurrection. But up until that point, it was a difficult relationship between Jesus and his family. They came to him in Capernaum where he left Nazareth and went to. And there he formed a family on mission. And when his mother and brothers came to look for him, and he was told your parents, your, your mother and, your, and your, your brothers are outside asking for you. He said this. It says it in Luke chapter eight and Mark chapter three. He said, who, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Now, I don't know how that would fly in your family, but that would not fly very far in mine. But it's quite clear because Jesus says, here is my mother and my brother and my sister, all those who do the will of God. Jesus was clearly growing a family. House churches are an expression of the family of God. This is the larger family of God. We are seeking to understand what it means to be family on mission. We have an event coming up in the next couple of weeks, which is, um, which is our learning community. And that learning community is going to take on the theme of being a family on mission. It's not about parents and children. It's about the family of God being on mission with God. And often single people say, well, what about me? Well, single people are of course included because it was a single man who formed the first family on mission, Jesus himself. I'm gonna invite Sally. She's gonna come and uh, just give us a little bit of a, a, a kind of an insight into what it is that we as a couple have understood as family on mission. Give her a welcome, will you? It's, it's lovely to see all your faces this morning, so thank you for joining us. Um, the first thing that I want to say is that the very word family creates an emotional response um, within us. Often we have experienced family in a less than wholesome way. And that means that the very word family means that we pull away. And it means that we look at other families and we judge ourselves through the eyes of other people's perfect families. And what I first want to say is that families are always broken, messy, dysfunctional beings. You only have to look at the life of Jesus and those that he drew around him to know that he loves messy, dysfunctional people. And that the very word family means that. So please, please never hear the word family and believe that you are excluded. Whatever you have come from, whatever you're going through, we want to gather around you. The word family means that. 
Um, in our lives as we've travelled around, Mike and I have observed stages that families go through, particularly when we're talking about mission. And the first thing that we often see is that people believe, because rightly they want to do families well, that they can only do family or mission. It's not possible to do both. And I understand that. It's complicated and it's difficult. But the truth is, is that excluding one from another will always be less than the whole. Often we think, if we're going to do mission, we're going to sacrifice our children and those around us. Um, if we're going to do family, we can't do mission. And so we do family or mission. Mike and I looked at this and we thought in our, in our arrogance and stupidity when we were younger, I know you can't believe that. Maybe you're saying, well, they're still arrogant and uh, stupid, who knows. Maybe uh, still young. Just, yeah, maybe still young, that's right. <laughs> Let's hope that's what they're thinking. Um, that we could do this because we'd observed that people would either do family or mission. We're like, we're not doing that because we've got both on our agenda here. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to do family and mission. And basically, the way to get over this is just to have a lot of organisation and a lot of whiteboards. Who's with me there? It's just a question of getting that multiple calendar on the refrigerator and we can do it. We can organise this, we can have a list of all the names of the children down the side, we can schedule anyone in colour coordination, we can do this. Who's in agreement with that? Who's had that conversation? Yes, come on girls, I know you have. Um, and basically, we tried it. We basically passed the baby. Here you go, Mike, you do the baby. I'm going to run out the door. Mike passes the baby back to me and I, you know, run out the door to do mission. And it was great for a while while you have two hands and then your hands become too full. And so what we realised is we were dropping things. Fortunately, we weren't dropping babies, but we were dropping things and it meant that we had to reconsider and we came to, and I particularly came to a very broken place where I couldn't go on anymore. I couldn't organise any more things and I couldn't colour coordinate and I couldn't get it together. And God in his graciousness met me there. And we looked at how God, how Jesus did family in the Bible and that became family on mission. So please hear that anything to do with family on mission has come out of brokenness and failure, and it includes everybody. Thanks, Sally. Good job. So, um, so this, uh, this learning community is open to everybody. We want everybody to come in. We want you to think through what family on mission means for your house church, what it means for us collectively as a large group. And um, as is typical of just about every congregation in America, all of the people outside of Apex have signed up and nobody within Apex has signed up. Well, I say nobody. You know, about 10% of the large number of people who've signed up for this learning community uh, have signed up from Apex. And so we want everyone to sign up. And if you possibly can be, come and join us at that learning community because what this is gonna do is it's gonna help us understand how God wants us to grow. It may be that you're not even part of a house church right now. What does it mean for you as an individual? What does it mean for you within 
the family that you're placed within. It may be, it may be that you're one of those who feels alone and that, and that God is going to place you within a family as he promises in scripture to do. So Jesus was about being at a gathering. Jesus was all about growing a family on mission. And Jesus was about going. He was about going somewhere. As they listened to Jesus, he said to them, perhaps you're gonna say this to me. Do hear what we've heard you do in other places. And then he gave them two examples, one from Elijah's life and another from Elisha's life, where Elijah went to a Gentile for help and where Elisha healed a Syrian with leprosy. And the implication was simply this, that the people that the, that the synagogue in Nazareth believed to be unworthy of good news were gonna hear good news as well. All of the people that the religious within Nazareth believed should be excluded from the kingdom were going to be given an invitation also. All of the alienated, all of the marginalized, all of the people that were the most hated in the world, people who had oppressed the people of God, people who hated the people of God, people who set themselves against the people of God, even they would have an opportunity to hear the good news. And the religious people of Nazareth rejected Jesus because of that. We need to be going with Jesus to the very least, to the last, to the lost. And as we go with him, he'll take us into our community, into our city, into our country, and into the continents. And he will start with the most desperate. He will start with those who are the crouching poor. And he'll use us to bring good news, the good news of a savior who loves them and a Lord who will equip and empower them. And so when you look at your commitment card, just consider how it is that you will commit yourself to gather. Will you gather with God's people? Will you grow and join a house church and, and learn what it means to be family on mission? Will you choose to go? And as you go, will you find the very calling of, of God upon your life to a particular, a particular people group that we can identify among us in this city and in this region and then beyond to the world. And then finally, in gratitude to what God has done, will you give to the life of our wider community? In gratitude, to what it is that God has done for you personally, for what it is that God has done for you and your family, will you give? Will you, will you with generosity include the resources of your life so that collectively we can gather those resources for the purposes 
of God's kingdom and for the release of God's people. One of the most important things that that churches need to be able to do is to have a stewardship budget. A stewardship budget means that it's based upon what people have agreed already to give. Now there's a faith budget beyond that. But we need a stewardship budget that says, you know, this is what the people have said they're gonna give and so this is what we're gonna tailor our life to on the basis of what's been promised. And on the basis of that promise, of course, the teams of people who are responsible for the the financial oversight will be able to set a stewardship budget. But what if, as may well happen and is already beginning to murmur in the congregation, what if we said, well, this, this principal family asset of this building, it may need sprucing up a bit. Just possibly. Maybe that the carpet that's got holes in, maybe that inverted kind of snobbery that says, well, you know, we're really godly Christians. Look at our church, it's awful. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll be able to put that aside and think, what would it be like if we really invested in this place in a way that was appropriate to the kingdom ministry that we're called to? Well, that would be a faith budget that would go beyond, obviously, the stewardship of our lives and our congregation. What will you give? Generally, the walk of maturity in giving is embracing a sense of gratitude, learning a life of generosity, and moving from tipping God to tithing. That's generally what takes place in the life of a believer. And I encourage you, wherever you are on that journey, to discuss this with your Christian friends, with the people in your family, the people in your house church, and come to a settled place. As we leave today, if you're ready already to say how it is that you're gonna be part of the calling and commitment of what it is to be a member of Apex, then then take your card and sign it in whatever way you find appropriate. Please put your name on it. We're not gonna kind of send the church police around, by the way, you know, because of what you've written on here. And then put it, in the, put it in the giving boxes at the back. But over the next four Sundays, I'll remind you that the commitment card needs to be filled in. So if you need a bit of time to do that reflecting and praying, then feel free to do that over these next few weeks. So here we come to the moment when we settle in our hearts that this is a day when we will mark forever in our lives that we committed ourselves in 2019 afresh to the commitment of Jesus to preach the good news to the poor. We come to the moment when in the heavenly transaction that takes place on the cross, we will relive it as we receive communion. And as we take the bread and the wine, we will remember Jesus. And we will re-identify with him and remember that his name, the Son of God, is our name so that we're children of God. But we're going to have just on this occasion, just for this special moment, an opportunity for us, both young and old, 
to symbolize this, this time of commitment. We're going to do the thing that uh, was the symbol of commitment in the, old, in the Old Testament. We're gonna take a rock that symbolizes us and our life and go, we're gonna add it to the rocks that are here. And as we do that, we'll come through the stage and then disperse to take communion. Gluten-free communion will be over here. All other kinds of communion will be everywhere else. And as we do this, this will be a moment when we individually and collectively say, I'm committing myself to the Lord, to His commitment to the, to the good news being proclaimed to the poor and commit ourselves to the renewing that God wants to bring to us as a community. God is renewing Apex and we are committing ourselves to that renewal today.